I'm your host, Wayne Clevenger, and today we are in Zechariah 9 through 11, and today we get into messianic prophecies that Zechariah brings us, and what's really interesting is he's going to switch to the coming Messiah, and he's going to talk in detail about this coming king cornerstone person deliverer that's going to be coming 500 years before it actually takes place and i i just find that really interesting and what we're going to find out in malachi the next book is what really takes place in that 500 years between or should I say doesn't take place, which will be interesting. I don't want to be a spoiler alert, but it's interesting. You will find out by the end of the week because we start the New Testament in October, and October is Sunday. So, Good stuff. So let's get to it. The first thing in Zechariah 9 that he gets to is judgment for Israel's enemies. That's the heading we have. And what that is, you know, God is like telling them that all these places that have caused his people trouble are going to get their due justice so think about where they've been exiled and the people have put them in oppression and caused them great harm and they've led them into really the pagan things that caused them to be in exile god's going to have his way with them and they're going to be punished now while this gets country-specific, there's talk of Damascus, Aram, Tyre, um, the Philistines, Ashdod, the city of Ashdod. What is really interesting is this is really more about good and evil, okay? This is a uh, more of a talk about good and evil and how God is going to one day have his say over evil and he's going to conquer all the evil all right because if we look at those places they've done evil things to God's chosen people and God's going to conquer it all right so how's he going to do that well here we go 
Shouting triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming. Wow, I don't know. I'm not a real big Gaither fan, but they do this rendition of The King is Coming that's really cool. The king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. The king is coming. Man, I love that song, and it doesn't even have to be sung by Gaither. The king is coming. Praise God, he's coming for me. So just think about that. We live in a time of oppression where we get persecuted. Nothing like what they had before, you know. But, you know, if we look around us, there's there's persecution of a kind all the time. Okay? There's things that go on day in and day out that are totally against biblical beliefs and we are subjected to it at will and we have to basically just take it because that's the way of the world now and if we say anything now that's a key word I'm going to come back to then we are the ones that are wrong all right, so in a sense, we're persecuted and oppressed already, all right, and, and there's a lot of people that are, and I'm doing quote marks, Christian, and their thing is, well, we have to say something. We are, you know, we, we have to step to that, but might I mind you, that was not the way the Lord worked. That's not how Jesus worked. While he lived in a world very much like we're in right now, we, I mean, we're in a world that is very much like it was then. He didn't go around speaking out what he thought about the way they lived. The people that Jesus chastised were the religious leaders, the ones speaking out. <laughs> if we look at his story, which we'll get to in October, he actually got chastised for mingling with those in the world. And so here we get promised for the king is coming. And here's the first messianic prophecy that hits right on the head. He is righteous and victorious, and he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and it's being prophesied by Zechariah 500 years early. And it happens. The word of God never fails, which, you know, you haven't seen that verse yet either, but you will. And remember that because when you see it, remember I just said it, not that I'm being prophetic because I already know what the Bible says, but, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth because 
his covenant with you will be sealed with blood. That's the whole part about he shed his blood for our sins and he will free you prisoners. He frees us from the clutches of death in sin. I love this. This is so good. This is so good. Oh, man, this is so good. So it says, come back to the place of safety. That's come into fellowship with him, come into covenant him. And he's going to repay us with two blessings. Judah will be the bow and Israel will be the arrow. And Jerusalem, the city, is his sword. And he will brandish it against the Greeks. And he calls out the Greeks. Because remember, um, Egypt is where all the uh, bondage, persecution took place at first, right? Okay. Greece is in there. So, again, that is a city called out, but it's metaphoric good against evil. And that's really where it comes from, all right? So the Lord is telling Zechariah to prophesy about the coming Messiah. And the Lord will rescue his people just as a shepherd rescues a sheep. What did Jesus say? Uh, we haven't got there yet, but we will. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. My sheep know my voice. <laughs> so good, so good. John 15, we'll get there. How wonderful and beautiful they will be. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. So that's the promise we're getting right off the bat. And then in chapter 10, we get more of it because from Judah will come the cornerstone, the tent peg. And that's, again, a messianic promise, prophecy. And from the few who are left, that's the exiles, that's the ones that will believe, that's the one that will come into fellowship with the Father through Jesus. This is messianic still. They will grow as numerous as they were before. All right, now that's futuristic. Now, if we talk about right then and there, he is talking about the exiles too. And he's talking about how he's going to strengthen them and bring them back. And they will grow as numerous as they were before. Even though they're scattered, they will come back. So, you know what? There, this is really good. There's churches, and I'm talking to my homesteaders as well that go through calamity. You know, we are on the end of, well, we're supposedly out of the pandemic, COVID. Now, you know, it's it's uh, supposedly rearing its head up again and the media's hyping it up again. And, uh, you know, personally, here's my thought. It's an illness that's been in the media for the last three years, really big. And yet 
There's also the flu. There's also pneumonia. Now there's RSV, which used to be only a child's illness, and now it's ramped up to be a, a older adult illness. And so, you know, it's like whatever we can do to stir up the people, let's do it. And since COVID was a big hit, we're going to play with that again and get people excited. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to excite the people. But the Lord is bigger than all of that. And if we look at this and say the Lord will strengthen us and if we put all our focus on the Lord and, and be in the Lord's word, be in his word, be in his realm, be in his where he is and block out all that hype, we don't have to get caught up in all that, that hubbub. Because greater is he, First John 4, 4, which I know we haven't gotten to, but I'm just going to tell it to you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the stuff that's going around is worldly. It's Satan, God doesn't cast illness on us. Satan is the one that stirs all that junk. So I just think we need to focus on greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and just let this stuff go. I'm not saying we don't take the precautions, but we don't get caught up in the rigmarole and the rumors of it. We take the safety precautions but we don't get caught up in all the other stuff. And so what Zechariah is trying to say is, hey, the Lord's going to take care of his people. The Lord's going to take care of the ones because they're going to become like mighty warriors and their hearts will be made happy. And they will rejoice in the Lord and when I whistle, they'll come running because they've been redeemed. Woo! What if we put all our trust in the Lord that no matter what the media hype is on anything, anywhere, we could just say, you know what? Say what you want to say, but all my trust is in the Lord. You know, Crowder sings that song. All my hope is in Jesus. Sorry, I butchered that. But hey. If all our hopes in Jesus, then why do we let that stuff get us all riled up? <laughs> right? So, because in verse 11 of chapter 10, it says, They will pass safely through the sea of distress, for the waves of the sea will be held back. So if we think like that, then this sea of distress that's going on will pass safely through because it will hold it off of us. Now, Really what this is talking about is the Red Sea. When they passed through the Red Sea and the waves were pulled back and they passed through on dry ground. But what we really got to look at is if we're all in the Lord, then he'll hold the waves of distress off of us and he'll hold those waves back and we'll be good because by my power I will make my people strong, it says 
in chapter 10, verse 12. And by my authority, they will go wherever they wish. I, the Lord, have spoken. So remember who we are in the Lord God. We are his children. Another New Testament verse in, in 1 John, um, I think it's chapter 2, is, Oh, what love the Father lavishes on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. And if we realize who we are in God, then we have this strength that only he gives us by his authority and we can go wherever we wish because we know that he keeps the sea of distress and the waves off of us, but we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we will see in the New Testament that when we take our eyes off of Jesus, this happens with one of his disciples, we tend to sink. And then we're hollering for him. Oh, help me, Jesus. <laughs> so Zechariah 11 talks about how if we go out of covenant with him, and this goes back to uh, Israel and how it became a divided nation because it followed bad shepherds. Now remember the Lord Jesus when he comes, they just gave the messianic prophecies. He's the good shepherd, but if we follow the bad shepherd, that's what gets us divided, right? So he gives a... Uh, he gives Zechariah this this vision and says, all right, take two staffs and name one favor and the other one union. And so he does and get rid of the three evil shepherds in a single month, okay? So there's evil out there. Oh, really? Yeah. That tends to bring us down because... They lead the sheep astray. And so he takes the sh staff called favor and he cuts it in two because that represents when we break the covenant with the Lord. If we're not going to follow him and we're not going to do what he says, then what good is it? And, you know, so many times it's like we take the Lord's will for us and we write it down and we say, well, I don't like that one. And we put a line through it or tear it off, throw it in the fire. You know, just like uh, Jehoiakim did way back in the day. And it's like, you know, what? We, we can't pick and choose what God wants for us. We either are are all in <laughs> or we're not and what we'll find out as well is there is no greater sin sin is a lifestyle we either follow god or we don't follow god and he wants us all in and if we're not going to be all in then it's like a broken staff that says we're not there and you know what's really funny speaking of broken there's this big myth that broken and, and fracture are two different things, but fracture is broken. There's just different kinds of fractures. 
Fracture is an incompleteness to a bone because of it could be a crack or it could be a complete break. But if it's cracked, it's broke. And so if you look at this staff, even if it's cracked, you've broken the covenant. You've broken it. You've broken the covenant. Even if you take out one or two of God's commandments and you throw it out, that's not what I want to do. Like even if Jesus says, if you even if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, you committed adultery. Well, I didn't really do it. Yeah, but you know, you're looking at the stuff online and you 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 know, and that's making you think things. You need to X out of that. Excuse me. You need to X out of that and be done with that because that's not what you're there for. And so the Lord's like, "Don't break the covenant." And they knew the Lord was speaking. And so he says, if you don't like what I'm telling you, then you could give me my wages or you don't have to give me my wages. So here's what happens. This is another messianic prophecy. This is for the good shepherd who's breaking this staff. Cut it in two because they broke the covenant. You want to pay me, you know, because so many times we want to shoot the messenger, right? So, well, I'm not going to pay you because I don't like your message. And that happens to pastors all the time. Well, we're not going to pay you because we don't like your message. So we're going to ax you, and, and that's A-X, you, and send you away and get somebody that we like the message better. And so they do that. And here's what happens. Messianic prophecy again. They give him wages, and guess what the wages are? 30 pieces of silver. <laughs> that's what Jesus was betrayed for was 30 pieces of silver. But the Lord says, no, that's that's not worthy of what you're supposed to get. If they're just doing that out of being spiteful or because they felt a duty to do that, Throw it to the potter. And you know what? When Judas felt guilt over betraying, he threw the money back to the priests. And the priests were like, what are we going to do? We can't. This is in the Bible. They said, what are we going to do? We can't put the money in the treasury for what we paid for murder. So what was really interesting is they knew what they did to Jesus was wrong. So they bought a field, field of the skull, or the potter's field, which shows that it was really a field of contempt, right? And so Zacharias told to throw this money in this vision back to them in the temple of the Lord, back to the potter. 
So then he takes the second staff, which was called Union, and cuts it into to show that the unity, the unity between Judah and Israel are broken. And we know that happens because Judah and Israel, when they're one, is just Israel. There's not a divided kingdom at when they're united, right? It's unity. And what this is indicating is there's, you know, if we aren't united, Jesus prays for us. We're going to find out too in John 17 that we would be united as he and the Father are united. But so many times that spirit of unity is broken in churches and in people, and it's not there. And, you know, it's not there a lot of times because we can't obey the commandment. We tear this part out. We put a line through it because he says, love each other as I have loved you. And we can't do that. He calls it a new commandment. Jesus does. And I think it's new. He calls it new at that time because he says, as I have loved you. And the reason it's as I have loved you, and I believe it's he calls it new, is because that kind of love is unconditional. <laughs> he gives way for differences of opinions. He gives way for people's mistakes. He gives way for people's uh, differences. And so many times, if you don't think like I think, then I don't like you. If you don't look like I look, then I don't like you. If you don't, if you don't agree with me on something, then I don't like you. And then there's this division and it happens in churches all the time and besides people. And so then there's this lack of unity and the unity in a community is broken. And we see it not only in churches, but we're seeing it in our own communities. We're seeing it in our countries. We're seeing it in our world. And so this was happening with the, the, the country of Israel. And so the Lord said, look, man, I see it right now. And I'm, I want you to take that staff called union and cut it in two because the unity between Israel, between Judah and Israel has been broken. And so now go play the part of the worthless shepherd. And I'm going to give this country this shepherd who doesn't care for them at all and who's not going to help them who's not going to heal for them this is the one this is that shepherd that wants to come steal kill and destroy this is a shepherd that could give a rip about us you know who that shepherd is right that's the enemy himself that's satan he doesn't care he doesn't care what happens to us. And so the Lord says, what sorrow awaits those under the care of this worthless shepherd who abandons his flock? Whoa. So we have a choice. Really, we can decide to be in unity with the good shepherd or side with the worthless shepherd? And man, I don't know about you. 
I don't want to be with one who can offer me no protection. And sometimes we have to find that out when it comes to the day of need for protection because we find out I'm vulnerable. I'm out here in the midst of the storm and I got nothing to help me. And as we'll see when we get to the New Testament, and all the waves are crashing in. That's when we figure out, Lord, I can't do this without you. And Zechariah is prophesying right here that that cornerstone, that tent peg, is coming. And he is the good shepherd. And he just wants to be in covenant relationship with us and have us trust in him so that we can have that protection. I don't know about you, but on this Wednesday, I think I know I want to be in relationship with that shepherd, the good Lord. I trust in God. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Oh, I trust in God, my Savior.